I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and joining me here today in the Vivid Seat studio is my coach, Charlie, and she is here to help me with our week eight mailbag charlie week eight like that means the season's more than half over right well if there are 12 games in a regular season well there's 14 weeks charlie we're in our eighth game that would mean i was correct right well why are you patronizing me yes okay a better answer than a half it's a little bit more than half right i guess week seven was the halfway mark which is Mm -hmm. sad and depressing why does God hate us? He makes us wait so long for this, and then, boof, Well, it's we gone. haven't actually had eight games yet, so... Well, it's about weeks. It's about I weeks. 14 weeks with two bye You're weeks. Right. All right, so we're, we're more than halfway, just to make a long story short. Um, we are back here today for the Week 8 Mailbag, and uh, we got a lot of great questions. Um, it's going to be another tough one. The recap show of that disaster on Saturday was a very difficult one to get through. This one... Um, guess I'm feeling a little bit better than I was a couple days ago, but this is still going to be difficult to rehash and get through, but we're here for you guys. Uh, we're going to do our best to get through this, but, uh, all right, we've got a ton of stuff to get to. I don't want to waste too much time. Let's go ahead and let's open the mailbag, pull off the bandaid and let's just get to it. All right. First up, Adam asks, is our offensive play calling a result of Kirby Smart's lack of trust in our receivers why did Saban change to the spread, and could Kirby Smart learn something from this? Oh, man. Uh, p- offensive play calling, a result of not trusting our receivers. Well, I, I guess I mean, that might be a part of it. It's a good point, Adam. I do think it's a part of it this year, but, uh, Charlie, don't we look a lot like – offensively, don't we look a lot like we did the past couple years? Yes. And we had some NFL receivers on the team in the past couple years, and Kirby still – was having us run a similar system. So I don't know if it's necessarily just about trusting our receivers. I think this year that is an issue. We don't, I mean, we have a lot of young guys, a lot of inexperienced guys. Our most experienced player, maybe not so much in our system in terms of just playing college football, is Lawrence Cager. He's been dealing with a separated shoulder that he keeps re aggravating. Uh, and then we have guys that are really talented but aren't just ready to consistently make plays. They don't consistently know what to do, like Matt Landers. We talked about in the recap show the side adjustment that he missed there resulted in an interception. It wasn't where Jake expected him to be. Uh, even George Pickens, as talented and crazy athletic as he is, um, he's going to be a superstar for us. He's still not completely there yet from an understanding what to do perspective. Don Blaylock, same thing. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably part of some of the offensive play calling. But it's not just that. Um, why did Saban change this spread? Because he was tired of getting beaten by it. Uh, really, I mean, Saban, I, I, you know, I've heard him say this a couple times and heard people kind of relate stories about what he, what he was talking about when he decided to make that change. And really it was the the advent and the expansion of the RPO game. That's really what, what got Saban. Where it was really basically it was Malzahn in Auburn where they were having uh, offensive linemen four yards down the field and then still throwing the football. And Saban was freaking out because like his his – Defenses linebackers are reading the offensive linemen. They're reading run, so they're attacking downhill towards the run, and then Auburn's pulling the ball and throwing it over their heads when linemen are downfield. So Saban got frustrated by that because the teams were getting 
famously beaten by that system. So you know what? If you can't beat them, join them. Just do what they do. Uh, I do think Kirby, I wish Kirby would learn something from this. I would say you have to have the personnel to do it to the degree, to the degree that Bama does it right now. Guys, they have four legit all-conference receivers um, and a couple all-American receivers. We don't have that right now. Um, and Tua uh, is a guy that's a little bit more mobile than Jake, so it brings a little bit of a different element to the game. So I think right now their personnel, they've rec- let's just say this, they've recruited to that scheme. We have not done that. It's not something that we're going to be able to change here midseason, which I actually think we have a question about that a little bit later on. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. I think it's something that we're going to have to adjust for moving forward in seasons to come. So we just don't have the personnel to do it right now. But yeah, I think Kirby can learn something from that, open up a little bit there. And just give our, our our quarterbacks some easier throws. And I think it was Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma's head coach, who said this. I, I, I don't know if this is word for word verbatim what he said, but something along the lines of, if you're running an offensive scheme that's not quarterback friendly, then you're running the wrong scheme. And I think that's um, a pretty profound statement about offensive football. And I, I don't think our system is necessarily quarterback friendly, whereas the Alabama system works oftentimes. They're so RPO heavy, it's not even funny. It's one read. And and then and take it from there. Uh, but we put so much on our quarterback, and and so despite that, we're we're, we're so predictable. So it's frustrating. I think Kirby can learn something from. It, but I don't expect to see those adjustments in season this year. Not to, not to the degree that I think a lot of people want to see at least. All right. Next up, David asks, "Is it time for Coley to go?" Oh, that's a loaded question, David. Oh man, is it time for Coley to go? I this is a tough one for me to answer, my friend, because. I think a lot, going back to Jim Chaney, and I said this when Chaney was here, you can criticize individual play calls here and there, but from a philosophical core identity standpoint, our offense is what Kirby Smart wants our offense to be. I think a big part of this is that Kirby is a defensive guy, and he understands that defenses need to rest if they're going to play at a high level. He still believes that defense wins championships. I firmly believe that he still believes in that mentality because he's a defensive guy. Why would he not believe that? And for defense to win championships, to be in position to win championships, you have to have a defense that's rested on the field consistently. So he thinks you know, the up-tempo, that kind of offense, if, they, if you go three and out, your defense is back on the field and you get worn down, which... I think in, in a previous day and age that might have had some, you might have been some credence to that, but if you look, Charlie and you and I were talking about this uh, yesterday after the game, um, with how much we rotate defensively, I don't think it's as much of an issue as it would have been maybe in previous years when you don't have that depth. If, if defensive depth, quality depth, is one of uh, our strengths defensively then I don't see the issue with going a little bit more tempo on offense and risking going three and out a couple of times and then having the defense right back out there a minute or two after uh, they were they were on the field. And plus with TV timeouts now, like the TV timeouts are on average like two minutes and 40 seconds, all right? You, yeah. If you're in the stadium, it says two minutes, 40 seconds. And if it's if it's uh, quarter break, it's almost four minutes long. Mm-hmm. So there are breaks built in for defense. So I don't know if I buy that as much that it's just hard on the defense. Maybe it's harder on the defense. But if you have as much depth as we do, the quality depth, it should, should not be as much of an issue. But anyway, I think a big part of it is what Kirby wants to do. Like Basically, I think that the offensive coordinators, whether it's Coley or Chaney, they operate within this framework that Kirby sets out for them. He's established. So here's what I want us to be. How it looks, you go about doing that. The plays on a play-by-play basis, you do what you want to do there. But I think philosophically, it's what Kirby wants us to be. So if you're frustrated that we're not a wide-open offense... I don't know if that is on the coordinators. If you're talking about a specific play here and there, then yeah, that might be on the coordinators. Some of the predictability um, and some of the routes that we're running. Because honestly, right now, I don't see much of a change. There's been a few things that we're doing differently under Coley, but not nothing dramatic um, from what we were doing under Jim Chaney because we've recruited to a certain scheme. We've got big fiscal offensive linemen. We've got great running backs. And we've got a quarterback that can 
can pretty consistently get us in the right place. So we still want to kind of run that scheme because that's what we're built to do right now. If, we want, if you guys want us to do something different moving forward, that's totally fine. I'm actually not opposed to that, but we have got to recruit to that. And right now, like our receivers right now, Charlie, do you trust our receivers to go out there and run the Alabama system? No. We don't have we don't have those receivers. So, uh, But getting back to the question, is it time for Coley to go? I'll say this. Uh, there are better offensive coordinators out there in America than James Coley. Okay, that's just the truth. There are. If Mike Bobo, Charlie, you and I were talking about this, uh, what, last week maybe? Yeah, if, I think so. Yeah, we're talking about like if Bobo got let go at Colorado State, you asked me, like, do you think Kirby would have him come back here? And my answer is like, he'd be freaking crazy not to. And I know that's tough because him and Coley are really tight. And Coley brings a lot of value as a recruiter, specifically in South Florida. All these guys that we're getting from South Florida, guys like Tyson Campbell, um, they are really... Uh, coming here for one of the big reasons they're coming here is because of James Coley, his connections down in the South Florida area. So you got to factor that in there because recruiting is a big part of coaching at the college level. But in terms of like X's and O's, is James Coley the best we can do? No. But I would also say, again, he's working within the confines of what Kirby Smart sets out for him. I would love for us to just blow up our offense and start recruiting differently and um, run something similar to what Oklahoma runs, which a lot of tempo, but what people don't realize is Oklahoma actually runs the football as well as anybody in America. They're leading America right now in yards per rush. They run the football as well as anybody in America, and their and their rush, their blocky schemes, and the run game are a thing of beauty. And we and we talked about this in the recap show. We run about four plays: we run inside zone, outside zone, occasionally run outside zone, a ton of duo, and we run that jet sweep every now and then. That's essentially all we run. Uh, and it's gotten predictable. We just think we're bigger, stronger, uh, and better than you. And if you think you can stop us, try your best, and we're going to run over you. But we don't do that every week, and we didn't do it against South Carolina. So if we had a chance, sure, I, I, I would like to maybe have an upgrade office coordinator. I just don't know if Kirby's going to go that route. I would love to see Mike Bobo back here, but uh, that's kind of a pipe dream. Mm-hmm. All right. Cliff would like to know, James Cook is more explosive. Why not put him in there? Dogs sure aren't using him much on offense. This is, I think we've, we've talked about James Cook a couple weeks in a row here. I feel like, um, Cliff, you're right, man. I, I, I totally am 100% with you here. James Cook is one of the most electric playmakers we have on offense, especially when we don't have elite receivers right now. I think Pickens is a burgeoning elite receiver. He's not there yet. But other than that, like we have our receivers are like pretty good-ish. Uh, D-Rob has a chance to be really good, but we don't really use him like we need to use him either. Uh, Cager has been a really solid option for us, but he's injured right now. I don't know. I mean, dealing with a separated shoulder, I don't know what the the prognosis is going to be moving forward. I think he's just going to have to try to fight through the rest of the season, which he can be in one game and out one game, one bad hit he's out. I mean, you just don't know. Um, But our our receivers are solid-ish at best. Um, So when you have that situation, I think when you have a playmaker like James Cook, who's not a true receiver – but I think you can get him out there involved in the passing game more than we do. He's a guy that I would love to see us use on little whip routes, little option routes on linebackers and safeties, and just let him play off their leverage. The New England Patriots have made a living off of this in the twilight of, of Tom Brady's career. Well, if you want to call it twilight, who knows when twilight of Tom Brady's career is. He might play until he's 60 years old. Um, but they made a living off of that. James Cook can 100% be that type guy. We're just so, number one, uncreative and how we get him the ball. And number two, so predictable in how we get him the ball that he doesn't really have a chance to really make much of an impact and make many plays when he does get the football. There are so many different ways that we could use him that we just don't even think about. Um, So yeah, it is certainly a source of frustration for me, no doubt. All right. 
Zach says he hopes this loss will make Kirby take a look in the mirror. He believes he needs to reevaluate his coaching, offensive coaching philosophy, if we are going to win at the highest level. Zach's only problem is he isn't sure how much you can change your offense in the middle of the season. What's your take, Tyler? Zach, I totally agree, my friend. I was kind of alluding to that in the, was the first question from Adam. I even I'm not sure if Kirby really recognizes that we need to at least change some things up offensively, uh, to freshen some things up. I don't know if he really believes that. Um, I think there's a level of stubbornness there. I love Kirby. He's been so good for our program. But I do think one of his faults is that he is a little bit stubborn, a lot stubborn when it comes to this kind of thing um, and admitting mistakes there. So I I would like to believe that we would move in that direction in season. But I do also agree with you, Zach, that it's – it's really difficult to expect that to happen in the middle of the year because it's it's a personnel thing. We've recruited to a certain system with a big offensive lineman, running backs, all of that, like we've said. And it's really hard to do something different with those players. We always talk about how you got to fit your system around your personnel. Well, our personnel right now is to run the scheme that we're running. Now, there's certainly some things we need to be less predictable, a little bit more creative, and find ways to get put the ball in the playmaker's hands in space and, and do some different things. We can certainly improve there, but... Like uh, a true, like, you know, revolutionary change is not going to happen midseason. Number one, you don't have the players. Number two, you don't have the time. You only have 20 hours a week. Install is over. The preseason camp, fall camp, fall camp and uh, spring camp, that is the time for install. That time's over. You don't have, you can't change up your offense in the middle of the season. You got you to prepare for your other posts. Like in, in spring camp and fall camp, you're basically just working on yourself. You're getting your team ready. But in, in season, you have to actually prep for the team you're playing. And that takes up most of your time. There's no way we have time to completely revamp our entire offense. There's some things that we can do to adjust, of course, but to expect us to come out and look like a different team offensively and do things uh, like Oklahoma or LSU is doing, that's not going to happen this season, guys. That's not going to happen in 2019. Now, moving forward in the coming years, sure, if we start recruiting that direction and making some changes, but uh, it's, it's a pipe dream to expect it to happen in season 2019. All right. Barry asks, are we as bad as we look? Is there any scheming to be done to make up for mediocre receivers against press coverage? We will see it every week, I'm guessing. Can't wait for Florida corners to get on our receivers. Yeah, Barry, you're depressing me here, man. Uh, I'm trying to get over this, but you're bringing me back down. No, but you're right, Barry. I will say this. We're not as bad as we look. Charlie, remember uh, after the LSU game last year in Baton Rouge? Remember that? Yes. And how we're all like, oh my God, we're terrible. We don't, we're going to get killed by Florida and all this kind of, you know. But we regrouped and we were a different team moving forward. Like that was the anomaly in the regular season. It builds character. Well, it can be if you, if you take it positively. If you use it correctly. Right. Or it can, it can create divisions and people lose confidence. I mean, it, it, you know, there, it could go in a number of different directions. But, I, we all thought we looked uh, we were terrible against LSU last year. I know South Carolina is a, a an inferior opponent compared to what LSU was last year. LSU was a very good team. South Carolina, you know, they'll probably end up seven and five, maybe uh, six and six, somewhere around there. And uh, they might have gotten into a bowl game because of this win. So good for them, I guess. Whatever. But I don't think we played about as poorly as we possibly could offensively. Defensively, we played very well. Offensively, we played about as poorly as we could. I don't think we're that bad. Thing about as poorly as we could play. Um, is there any scheming? that can be done to make up for the mediocre receivers. Yeah, like we can actually scheme ways to get receivers open and not just try to run nine routes against uh, press coverage. Because that's essentially what we do. And depending on the leverage of the receiver, uh, we either throw over the top 
uh, or we play, or we throw the back shoulder. And you have elite, elite elite corners. Sometimes that can be difficult. And you're right, Florida. That I'm concerned about the Florida game because the, South Carolina gave them a blueprint for what to do, to do to us. Now I do think South Carolina is a little stronger up front defensively than what Florida is. Florida has some good pass rushers, but they're not as stout in the middle of that defense. So I don't think they're going to be able to give us as many issues in the run game and pressuring from the interior there. But they do have corners. Their corners are probably actually a little bit better than South Carolina's. The Carolina duo, Makamu and Horn, they're good, but they're not as good as Henderson and Wilson, I don't believe. I think Auburn could also give us a lot of issues. Their defensive line is what Auburn's defensive line is. I mean, it's about as good as it gets in America. And their corners maybe not are not quite as good as Florida or South Carolina, but... Uh, Igbinagani, uh, he is very good at corner, so they could give us all those issues as well. Um, so yeah, it's um, it is concerning to a degree unless we really start to improve some things. I do think we need to try to find a way to get our guys in space, we need to open up the route tree a little bit more because we're just too predictable right now. But no, I don't think we're as bad as we look. We've we've seen this before. We looked really bad against Auburn in 2017. Came back and we we finished the season really positively, making it all the way to the national championship game. We finished really strongly. Uh, we just started destroying people after that LSU game last year. So we can we've we've been in this spot before. It's kind of crossroads, if you want to call it that. And we were never as bad as we looked. Um, we just um, just happen to have these clunkers in us for some reason every single year. It's, just hasn't been at home the past couple of years. But this year, hopefully this is the only clunker. And uh, we can get back to playing the kind of football that we know we are capable of. And before we get to our next question, I do want to remind everyone about MyBookie.ag. Georgia fans, the season is not over. The SEC East, despite popular opinion, is still in play, and a shot at the college football playoff is certainly not out of the question. My bookie has that extra something to help erase that tough home loss. Not only sides and totals, but quarters and halves as well as in-game action. And of course, the Bulldogs to win it all. At last check, we are favored by 25 points at home this week against the Kentucky Wildcats. And that just scratches the surface. We've teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you this great offer. All you've got to do is sign up at MyBookie.ag and they will completely 100% match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. All right. Jamie says, I was just starting to think games like these were behind us. How worried are you for the Florida, Auburn, and A&M games? Yeah, I guess I was just talking about that a little bit, Jamie. It's a great question. Yes, I am worried. Uh, I think I would be foolish to sit here and say, oh, no, I'm just going to – that's just one of those anomalies. Uh, we're fine. I think we're st- – if you look at – if you stacked up our, our 85-man roster against Florida, Auburn, and A&M's, our 85-man roster is more talented. But the football is a game of matchups. And I'm concerned about some of those matchups after what I saw Saturday. Again, I'm hoping that it was just one of those weird, like, what just happened moments, the anomaly of the season, and we are much better than that on the offensive line and receiver. But I have my concerns because we've seen signs of that at different points throughout the year. So Florida, as we just mentioned, has two really good corners that can match up on on us outside and make it difficult for us to do anything in the passing game. And they have good enough uh, pass rushers to get after us, um, especially if they do a lot of the looping and stunning and twisting that teams have really given us issues with, especially on Saturday, and they just gave us so many issues with that. Auburn has that strong defensive line, maybe not as good at the corners, but they're still good enough to give us some issues. A&M, Justin Matabuke is a really good defensive lineman up front. I don't know if they're as good up front or at corner as the other teams, but they can still give us some issues. We're fortunate that game's at home. And nobody's talking about Missouri, guys. Missouri, just like South Carolina, is a team that has nowhere near as much talent as us, but they're coming off a bye because they come into Athens. It's a big game for them. They've got nothing to lose. They're going to come in here swinging. Absolutely. And right now, Missouri has the best defense in the SEC statistically. So 
watch out. I'm just, I mean, there are there are some landmines on this schedule, and I do have a certain level of concern for each of those games, just from a matchup perspective. Um, and I was, I'm with you, man. I was hoping these games were behind us, but for whatever reason, seems like we still got one in us every single year. Hopefully, it's just one. Hopefully, and we don't see this again moving forward. All right. John says Kirby said he wanted to be more explosive. It's not that we didn't try, but if we are going to rebound offensively, how do we open up our passing game to a championship level? Yeah, John, you're right. Kirby did say that he wants to be more explosive. The players have been more vo- have been vocal and talking about how they want to be more explosive offensively. And you're right. We did try. We dialed up a number of plays, and for various reasons on each play, we just didn't hit them. There were some plays where Jake missed the guy. There were some plays where the receiver didn't run the right route or couldn't get uh, any separation. There were some plays where we dialed up, play, uh, dialed up a, a play that was going to be there, but the offensive line couldn't protect Jake long enough, and he either got pressured, had to throw the ball away, had to check down, couldn't get enough in the ball, whatever the reason was. It just... There was something different every single time we tried to hit the ball down the field, and we just could not hit those plays. We were certainly dialing them up. We were trying to push the ball down the field. And that's one of the issues I had with some people saying that we, we, were cons- we were too conservative against South Carolina. I don't believe we were too conservative. We were trying to do things. The issue was we couldn't protect Jake consistently. Receivers couldn't get separation. We were a little bit too predictable in a lot of the situations of what we were trying to do. Um, so all that kind of combined to just that terrible offensive performance, the baddest offensive performances I've seen from us in a long time. Um, so yeah, like, how do we get our passing up to a championship level? I don't know. <laughs> this is one I'm, I know I'm supposed to have answers for you guys. I've been thinking about this since the game. We have a quarterback that can, can put the ball in the money when, when things are good. Like, but when we get pressured, I mean, Jake does a really good job of moving in the pocket. There are actually a couple of plays in that game where he did a great job creating, throwing windows, moving in the pocket. Most people aren't going to really notice. He did a really good job there, but when he's getting a lot of pressure in his face, especially when it's up the middle, um, which Javon Kinlaw was able to do with a lot of consistency in the first half, he's not the kind of guy that's going to get out there and escape the pocket uh, and make things happen with his legs. He's just not going to. So that's an issue if we can't start protecting him a little better. If receivers don't get separation, Jake's got to hit, he's got, really got to fight, fit these balls in a tight windows. He's done a really good job of that all year to this point, but he was just off on Saturday. It was one of the most least, that was one of the least accurate performances I've ever seen from him. It was just so uncharacteristic uh, from Jake Fromm, and, and I can't really explain it. It's uh, We talked about this in the recap show. I'm still trying to wrap my head around like what happened, where he had in the Tennessee game, what I thought was probably his best game, his best complete, most complete game as a Georgia quarterback, and then you followed up with just that performance against South Carolina. It wasn't all on him, but he certainly did not did not play uh, to the level he's capable of and certainly cost us in a number of situations. So, I don't know, uh, championship-level passing game, I think we've got to it, – it's 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 everyone. We've got to protect him a little bit more consistently. Jake's got to uh, – he's got to stop with these just random poor performances. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it does not give us a chance to win. Our receivers have got to find a way to get open. I think Pickens, as he becomes more comfortable in the system, becomes more of a – of a, a go-to guy, and that's going to certainly help Don Blaylock as he continues to get more familiar with the system. Uh, but I, I think also part of it comes back to James Coley. Try, we, we got to start scheming a way to get guys open. We got to expand and open up the route tree. Uh, we're too predictable in what we do offensively. Teams know what we're going to do. We talked about a lot of that in the preview or the recap show, so I don't want to rehash all of it. But we just got to find a way to get the guys get guys open in space, run some option routes. Um, open up and run some more RPOs. We run those occasionally. We, we're really successful when we run them. We just don't run a ton of them. I think that's something that we could, that could really help us out, give us some easy throws, give it, uh, give us, help us stay ahead of the chains in those situations where maybe things aren't working. Like, like against South Carolina, what, we're tip, what we typically do, it just wasn't working with any sort of consistency. So some RPOs would have given us some easy throws, easy completions. It could have maybe sparked the offense a little bit. Okay. 
Chris asks, is it possible UGA is putting too much on Fromm's plate? For example, the play that caused the five-yard illegal procedure was due to Fromm checking the play with little time left on the play clock. He had to hurry up and snap, which did not, which did not allow for his players to get set. We all knew it was going to be a quick throw to the sideline. What's your take? All right, it's an interesting question. I really appreciate it, Chris. It's, it's an insightful question. Are we putting too much on Jake Fromm's plate? I... I think when you say that, most people read that as like, is it too much for Jake to handle? It's not too much for Jake to handle. This guy understands what we're doing, understands offensive football. He can handle it. But you're right, it does. Like I think one of the issues that I had was no sense of urgency in the fourth quarter. And you were talking about that too, Charlie. Like We were just letting the play clock down under five consistently in the fourth quarter. Yeah, we quarter. didn't have time to run clock. Yeah, we didn't. There but, was no time for that. Yeah, absolutely. But part of the reason we were doing that is because we were get, letting Jake have controlled line of scrimmage to get us into the right play. Because when you run tempo, you're not you, you don't have time to check like that. You're just you're going fast. You got you got a set play, and whatever the, however the defense reacts, you go off of that. So I think that was part of it, and I do think that hurt us in that situation. We did not have time for that uh, in that situation. We needed two scores to avoid overtime because anything crazy can happen overtime. And we saw crazy things did happen in overtime. Um, so that was a little frustrating there. I think there's just a time and a place for it. Um, I also will say this. When you put that much on a quarterback's plate and give him the, the opportunity to make checks line of scrimmage, it's not that Jake can't handle it. Jake handles that very, very well. It's one of the strengths of his game. But when you are playing a team with a, de- with a really good defensive coaching staff, a defensive coaching staff who had an extra week to prepare with a bye week, they know, like, when, when we're checking into stuff, we're so predictable. They know, like, when, we show it, when they show a certain look defensively, they know what Jake's going to check into, right? Like, they know what we're going to check into. Yep. And so what, a, lot of, a lot of what they do is they bait us. They'll show a look, and Jake makes the right call, the right check, based on the look that South Carolina or whatever team is showing. But it's actually just a disguise. They're, they're faking that, essentially, right? They're baiting us, and they're actually playing a different coverage than what they're showing because they're trying to bait you in to check into the play they want you to check into. And I think South Carolina did a really good job of that on Saturday. And some of the players were talking about it after the game, like, you know, Jake was just doing what Jake's coach to do. And he's, they're right. Jake made the right checks based on the looks he was seeing. But he has no way to know that South Carolina is trying to bait us into that. Because all he knows is when they show me this look, i got to show you this other play that will beat that look. Well, when, when they're not actually running that defense and they're just showing you that look before the snap and then pre-snap, they go to something different. Or post-snap, they go to something different. Well, that creates a lot of issues, and that's exactly what they were doing. So it's kind of it's a double-edged sword. Like when you give the quarterback this much uh, freedom at the line of scrimmage, says yes, he can check into things and get and make bad plays right, and it can work a lot of times. But when the team has a couple of weeks to prepare, and they have a really good coaching staff, and that coach staff has a lot of familiarity with what we do offensively, and especially when we're as predictable as we are, um, it can also work against you because they can create a plan like South Carolina did to really kind of uh, play off that and create situations where we think we're checking in the right play, but in fact, we're checking right in the play they want us to check into. So you got to be careful of that. Um, that's one of the things that, that, you know, it's 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 tough because you want your quarterback to be able to get us in the right play, which you think is going to be the right play, but it's always going to be the right play. Depends on what the defense is trying to do to you and how good that coordinator is. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Justin has a question about Tyler Simmons. Does Tyler Simmons deserve another offensive snap where he is the intended receiver? He seems like a liability in clutch moments. Should we get more reps to other players? This is a this is a fair question, Justin. Curtis and I talked about this a little bit on the recap show earlier in the week. I don't. I'll say the same thing I said there. If you guys missed it, I do not want to bash Tyler Simmons. I don't want this to be a bash session on Tyler Simmons at all. This dude is a good guy, works hard. It's a great locker room presence, great leader, captain type presence on the team, um, and he does all the little things, man. He's just worked his tail off. But as a as a receiving threat, he's just not there right now. I, I and I say this with all due respect to him. I don't know what he brings to the table from a receiving perspective. I He's not the biggest guy in the world. He's got good straight line speed, but he's not the quickest guy. He's not the, twi- the twitchiest guy. Doesn't consistently get open um, or beat press coverage or anything like that. Doesn't have the best hands. When we're in third and obvious situations where everybody knows we're throwing the football, when I see Tyler Simmons out there, I kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, oh, all right, face plant. Like, oh my God. Like, what, what are we doing out there? And it, it was unfortunate that he was out. He would probably not have been out there if Cager had not gone out with the injury. So it was just unfortunate. And I think losing Cager in that game was a really underrated reason why we could not move the ball more in the second half because that meant Tyler Simmons had to basically be out there your entire second half. Uh, we tried Landers out there at times. And Landers is a guy that has so much physical potential, but he just has not figured it out from a mental standpoint right now. He's still a young guy, so I don't want to give up on him because he has a lot of talent. But that, that interception there... Uh, when Fromm was thrown his way, he missed the side adjustment. He was supposed to run a little hitch route. Fromm expected him to be there. He wasn't there. He was running vertically up the field, and he basically didn't play the rest of the game. So if Landers is not an option, you don't trust him. If Cager's out with an injury, the only other option out there was Tyler Simmons in terms of the, guy who was our, the guys who are consistently in our rotation. Um, so it's unfortunate he had to be out there in that situation, but I'm with you, man. When he's out there in in, in key moments, I kind of like, mm, like it, it, it's, it concerns me because I don't see him really making a ton of plays for us offensively in the past game. He really hasn't. It's just not what he does. Um, but in terms of should we get more reps to other players, I'm, I'm open to the idea, but my question would be this. Who are these other players we're talking about? Who are we talking about? Because Matt Landers, we talked about him. Like he's a, He's got talent, man, a ton of time. Still really high on his potential, but he hasn't figured it out yet. Coaches clearly don't trust him right now, at least after what we saw on Saturday. He didn't play after that interception, or hardly played after that interception. I got Dom Blaylock, who's getting some reps at slot. You got D, uh, D. Rob is getting reps at slot. Kiaris has come back from the injury, hasn't got a ton of reps since then, but you know he's gotten some playing time. You got Pickens outside. You got Cager, who's in and out with injuries right now, that separated shoulder. You just don't know how. And I think he's going to be dealing with that the rest of the year, which is really unfortunate because he's our most consistent receiver right now. But then who else you, you, you going to throw out there? Tommy Bush is dealing with sports hernia. He's out. He's not playing right now. Trey Blunt has not played a meaningful snap in his life at Georgia. Um, then you got Makaya Tung. You are we're basically registering right now. Maybe you want to give him some options, but is he more equipped to, to make plays than some of the other guys that were that are in the rotation right now? If he was, you'd like to think he'd been out there from the get-go. So I don't know who the other options are. I really don't. So right now, unfortunately, I think we have what we have, and we just have to figure out a way to use the talent that we have a little bit more effectively. I would like to see guys like James Cook at more looks out wide um, and actually find ways to get him the football other than just hand him the football and little jet sweeps or a uh, little arc motion, throw the pass, the you know, little screen pass behind the line of scrimmage. He's a guy that if, if we're having issues at wide receiver, 
why not find a way to get him the football in space and try to make some plays? All right. G says, I guarantee you we will not lose anymore, especially in the regular season. We needed a game like this. This loss sucks, but it will bring the character out in this team. Went out, and we still get in. What do you think? G, you and Cliff, uh, I appreciate you guys, man. I really do. You guys are bringing some much-needed optimism my way on social media. Uh, guarantee that we'll not lose anymore. I don't know if I can go as far as guarantee because we have, other than the Notre Dame game, I would say all of our most difficult games left on our schedule, whether it's Florida and Jacksonville at Auburn, which, man, that one scares me right now. you got Missouri, who's a good football team right now. You've got AM at home. We've got some tough games down the stretch. So I would like to have as much optimism as you and, and say that I'm going to guarantee that we don't lose another game. I just don't know if I can go that far. I will say I think we're a lot better than we play against South Carolina. I do think this, this team has the ability to run the table. Uh, I can't guarantee it, but we have the ability. And we've seen it before. You know, We talked about at LSU last year. We looked horrible there. We come back. It looked like a different team after that bye week. And uh, we kind of we run the table from there th- through the rest of the regular season and come within a, a half a quarter from winning a back-to-back SEC championship game and going to the college football playoff for a second straight year. So you're right. It's, it's certainly not out of the question, but we have some things we need to address. Just like we had some things we had to address last year after the LSU game, but we have the pieces that we need. Guys just have to play for the capabilities, and our coaches have got to look in the mirror a little bit and find a way to scheme our, our receivers open a little bit more consistently and be a little less predictable offensively. Okay. Jonathan says, I hate to say it, but Fields is starting to look smarter and smarter, and our staff and scheme is starting to look the opposite. I was upset that Fields didn't stick around and wait his turn going into the season, but I'm starting to understand now and can't blame him at all for transferring. What do you think? Yeah, I don't blame Mr. Fields for transferring. Honestly, he probably made a mistake coming here in the first place because we are not going to change our scheme offensively. I think I think I, I think Kirby when he was recruiting Fields wanted to and told him we would and like I really he probably Kirby probably believed that when we told him that we were going to do that. But I think when it comes down to it, Kirby's like, no, we've recruited, you know, we've got this, these running backs, this offensive line, this is what we're going to do, we might make a few adjustments for you. Or maybe what, what we, when Kirby told him, hey, yeah, we're going to change our offense to fit your style, maybe what he meant by that was different than what Fields thought he meant by that. Maybe there's some something lost in translation there. I don't know exactly how that went down, but I don't blame Fields for transferring because he's in a situation that really fits his skill set, an offense that fits his skill set more than what we run. So, no, I don't blame him. What I blamed him for was kind of how it went down. Um... And so, but I don't want to rehash all that. But in terms of the decision to leave, I get it, man. I understand. You find a better situation, a situation where your skill set is is featured more promptly than probably what it would have been here. So yeah, it, it makes sense to me. I'm with you, Jonathan. I don't, I don't. I would have loved for Fields to wait around and see what we could have done with him as the feature guy and see maybe maybe we would change things dramatically to fit him. But um, for him, if he has a chance to go right, go ahead and go to Ohio State and play right away in, in a system that fits his skill set better than what our system fits, then. Yeah, more power to you, man. Uh, I don't I don't really have an issue with it. All right. Lynn says, thanks for doing the show in these hard times. My question is, do you ever feel like we substitute our players too much? I know the whole deal about having players with fresh legs and such, but does there come a time when we really need to have our best players on the field, especially for key plays? Thanks for the question, Lynn. This is a really good question. Curtis and I were talking about this a little bit on the recap show. I think it's a position-by-position position question. The offensive line is where we have an issue with it. You just don't see teams do that. Um, because, and there's a reason for that because offensive line play, it, it's it's all about cohesion. You have to have a lot of trust in the guy next to you that you guys are on the same page. You guys 
a lot of time are working in conjunction with what with with how the blocking systems work. Uh, whether you're double teaming and rubbing off up to up to a linebacker, there's a lot of trust there. There's a lot of cohesion that's needed to really function as an, a truly effective offensive line. And when you're rotating guys in and out, you're moving guys from one position to another position, like Cade Mays playing right guard, right tackle, left guard. I mean, it's really tough to get that level of cohesion and. I know you look, You want to keep your guys fresh, and you, you want to try to wear out the, the South Carolina defensive line. I get that when you have as much depth and quality depth that we have. I understand that. But the offensive line, I don't believe that's the right move. Now, other positions, I do think it's fine. Receiver, especially those guys are running routes all over the place. You got to sub those guys in and out on a regular basis. Defensive line, you got to keep those guys fresh. They don't. It's not as much of a. Of a it's not a position that requires as much cohesion uh, as the offensive line does. So I'm okay with that. Linebackers, I actually like to see us rotate our linebackers a little bit more consistently. Um, so I think it's a position-by-position position question because having fresh legs is important, especially defensively. But you also have to ask yourself, yeah, you want to have your best players. Of course you want to have your best players out there, but it's like your best player at 70%, does that give you a better chance on any given play than you maybe the second-best player at 100%? You know, that's a question that you have to ask yourself. And I think, it, again, that's a that's a, that's a case-by-case basis. It depends on how close – the, the first-string guy and the second-string guy are in their overall talent level. But if they're relatively close, like a lot of our guys are, like a, let's say Nolan Smith and Aziz Ojolari, right? Uh, there's not much of a gap between those two guys. So I would say Aziz at 70% is not as good as Nolan at 100%, in my opinion. So I think you just have to kind of gauge it there on a case-by-case basis. But it is a very fair question, I, and I'm with you, Lynn. Like the offensive line, I just I don't know what we're doing there. I've never really seen that. We haven't done it to that degree ever either. This was kind of the first time I've ever seen us or really any other college football team rotate their offensive line to that degree. And I I had an issue with that. I'm not sure that's in the best interest of our football team. All right. Jamil sit in two questions. Landers and Simmons need to move down the depth chart and give some other players a shot. Landers always seems disinterested and well. Simmons, and he ended that with hashtag bring back Bobo. Hashtag bring back Bobo is making a thing. Jamil also said that the loss of J.J. Hallman and Kadra getting injured and inexperienced wide receivers, do you think this limits our pass play options? I'm going to take that second question because we kind of already answered the first one. Uh, Yes, 100%, Jamil. I absolutely do. And we were trying to, you know, we kind of downplayed the receiver. And I'll include myself in this. We downplayed the receiver questions coming in the season. I was essentially saying, was like, look, we got, we had the talent. They don't have as much experience. And I still believe that we have comparable talent to the guys we've had in the past. But our most talented guys are just young, inexperienced, and not consistently ready to go out there and do the little things, whether it's, it's, it's um, Pickens, whether it's Dominic Blaylock, whether it's Matt Landers. Those guys are just not ready to consistently be like a Riley Ridley or a Miko Hardman. And I, I do think J.J. Hallman, that loss, that that is hurting right now um, because he was the one guy with a lot of experience that we've got there and trust, and he would absolutely be a number one option for us. So that whole situation, man, that hurts, and it's unfortunate J.J. put us in that situation. Um, and Cager getting injured, that, God, that's a blow too, man, because he's, like, he's the one guy who was really coming on most consistent option, most experienced option, and really was just looking good. Um, and I, I, I still think he's going to play for us, but he's just going to be dealing with that separated shoulder and a potential re-aggravation game in and game out. And that's has happened the past couple games. And so I, I'm hoping he doesn't play this week against Kentucky. We should be okay without him there. Uh, they get the bye week two weeks. That's great. But I don't know if that's enough for a separated shoulder to really fully heal. I hope it is, but I just don't know, man. Um, but we need him to get healthy and stay healthy in some way, shape, or form because – he is our most experienced option. He's certainly the guy that Jake seems to have a comfort level with. But I do think it limits our pass play options because 
Those guys, you saw it on Saturday. Those guys are not, other guys are not consistently getting open. They couldn't beat press man coverage was the problem. They could not consistently get off the press there in their young experience. They, have, they don't have as much experience doing that. And that really limited what we were able to do. Now, I do think there's some other ways that we can scheme things up, um, especially with our slot receivers. I don't think we use our slot receivers nearly well enough. There's a lot of different things we can do with them that we just have not even touch like we haven't scratched the surface of what we can do with those guys so um i think we're gonna have to be a little more creative a little less predictable and scheme some things up offensively to get some of our guys open all right our last question is from alexander he says we didn't return a single punt versus south carolina part of it was decent punt return coverage by south carolina but there were several times when blaylock had space and still fair caught the ball do you think this was something he was instructed to do or is this just on the returner it is really tough to tell, Alexander. It's a great question. I've had some of these frustrations myself because our punt return game has been essentially non-existent outside of the first game against Vanderbilt where Tyler Simmons was able to break a couple there. Uh, not all the way, but get a couple big gainers. Uh, I don't know, man. It's really hard to tell because you're not in the meeting rooms because you're right. There were a couple of opportunities. South Carolina had to punt, what, six, seven times in that game? And a couple of those we had some space to potentially make some plays, but we had the fair catch going. And I, I don't know what to make of that. It certainly could be a case where our coaches are telling them, hey, you know, we just we don't want to risk a turnover, um, so just fair catch the ball and let's let our offense take it from there. But when our offense is struggling as much as it was on Saturday, a special team's play can spark you, can can change things around. So I really don't know. I, I, I don't want to think our coaches are, are instructing him in those situations to not – or to just fair catch it. And it makes more sense to me to think, okay, Dominic Blaylock's a young punt returner. Uh, he's still having, he's still working on the process of gauging when and when, when and when not to fair catch. To me, that makes more sense, but I can't say with 100% certainty that is the case. I will say this though: I would really like to see James Cook back there, punt returner, get some looks there. I, I, I like Don Blaylock. I think he's a, he's a, a very good punt returner, a capable punt returner. But James Cook to me is a better athlete. He's got more wiggle. Um, he's got more elusiveness, and that's where he would really excel. I mean, he's basically being neutralized as the kick returner. The kick returns, Charlie, you and I were talking about, talking about this the other day. Just take it out of the football. Take it out of the game, right? Yes. Like, kick returns, like, it, it's just a waste of play. No one returns kicks anymore. It's just ridiculous. It's just it's a waste of time now uh, with how they've changed the rules to where to basically take them out of the game. They, they've all but taken kicks out of the game, so let's just completely take it out of the game. But James Cook is not being able to return anything. He, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, I think he actually, from a skill set perspective, actually fits better as a punt returner. Punt returners are typically guys who, who have that wiggle, who have that looseness, who have that, that twitchiness that can make people miss in space because you got guys bearing down, you got to make somebody miss real quick in a phone booth. And I'm not sure Blaylock is as adept at that as Cook would be. Whereas uh, your kick returner is a guy that's got more straight line speed and can just hit a seam and take it the distance. And Cook can do that too, sure. But I think you're limiting what he brings to the table when you don't give him a chance to return punts. And look, the coaches are out there with those guys every day of the week. They know a lot more about them than I do. So I, I typically defer to them. But I do think one thing that our, our coaches struggle with, and I've said this before, I'll say it again. They struggle sometimes with personnel usage. And I think this is one of those situations. I think James Cook would be a much better weapon out there than even a Dominic Blaylock, who's a capable punt returner, but I just think Cook would be more dangerous. So I would like to see James Cook back there and give him a shot or two. But you're, going back to your original question, Alexander, it's just tough for me to tell. I don't know. Um, I want to see a little bit more than I would love one of the beat writers to actually ask that question because it's it's interesting. Because you would think, well, if, if he's not being told to, catch, to fair catch those punts, then and he's fair catching when he's got plenty of room, then we should try somebody else out there because he's not getting the job done. So I don't know. Uh, I can see it both ways. It's tough to tell, but it's a very good question because we certainly could have used a shot in the arm, the special teams game against South Carolina. There's no doubt about that. But all right, that's it, Charlie, right? 
Yes, that's it for today. All right, guys. Thanks for all the questions. We really appreciate it. I tried my best, man, to kind of rip the bandit off and make it through all these questions. Hopefully, I answered everything to your satisfaction. Uh, I will be back later this week with our Kentucky game preview. And then Charlie and I will try. We've got a crazy schedule. We get, we, both of our schedules are, all, are kind of all over the place. We're going to try to get together and coordinate with a guest host to be able to record our Picks of the Week show. So if we are able to do that, that'll be Friday. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. I really appreciate it. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs. <laughs>